Howdy! Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Chris Cast. Once again, joining me by Twitter app. No, not Twitter app. Sorry, the, the Anchor app is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Hello, and it sounds like he's got a touch of Alzheimer's this evening. No, it's just I got all kinds of things on my mind. When you're a genius like I am, oh things my just God. so you, you tend to, to put things together when they're not together. So that's how it works. So okay, that's your definition of Alzheimer's. Okay, that's that's okay, that's good. We'll roll with that. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna start off with food like we like to do so often. Did you see what McDonald's is bringing to the U.S.? Uh, we talked about Dunkin' Sticks last week. That um, was Wendy's. Oh, that was when. What are they doing? The Chicken Big Mac. I didn't know there's such a thing. It's been in the U.K. This is from the takeout on Yahoo Life. A Big Mac with chip and chicken swapped in for beef could be in the cards for U.S. McDonald's customers very soon, reports USA Today, and we should all thank the Internet for that. The chicken Big Mac, which U.K. customers are already familiar with, is made with two crispy tempura chicken patties, Big Mac sauce, pickles, shredded lettuce, and American cheese. McDonald's announced recently that it will be testing the chicken version of its signature sandwich at select locations in Miami after its huge success earlier this year in the U.K., However, for those of you looking forward to it, I speak from experience here. Don't hold your breath because McPlant's been tested in this country for over a year and still not nationwide. Okay, I wonder if they're going to be using regular chicken breasts for the chicken sandwiches or are they going to be like a hammered flat version of it? Does it have a picture of that? Yeah, and I'll let you see, and then people at home can just pull it up on their own. But the uh, can you see? But it's it's so it's kind of like a patty. It's like a patty. Okay, I see that. So, I mean, if if it were vegetarian chicken, I'd be willing to try it. But again. No vegetarian meals in most McDonald's in this country. What do you think? Would you eat it? French fries? Yeah. Um, I would try it, yeah. And hopefully they decide to to get some vegetarian options at more restaurants here soon. Because there are multiple places offering like i mentioned last week that i found out the impossible burger is now at applebee's well a new one is joining the list this is from forbes.com taco bell is testing a proprietary plant-based meat alternative so no longer will it be just substituting beans for the meat at taco bell it will actually be a plant-based meat alternative. Well, I've seen um, at grocery stores, like they've got this whole section now with plant-based burger stuff. And I've seen like the bags, like a Ziploc bag, like a thick one that says 
um, veg vegetable beef, whatever it is, they're rendering their name for it. Uh, crumbles like it's uh, ready, like to put in chili to like to make chili with it. So it's like beef crumbles, except it's vegetarian. Yep. And there's there's several different companies. <laughs> you got Beyond. You've got um, Impossible. Morningstar. You've got Morningstar, and you've got Corn, Q-U-O-R-N. And Corn makes a really good vegetarian Chick-fil-A. I mean, what? those things are really good. They're, they really? call them cutlets, but they are really good. And just getting off the subject for a second, as we always do, Corn, I used those chicken fillets that they make in a recipe from Campbell's Soup. And it was a can of cream of mushroom, I believe. And I can't remember if there was broth in it or not. But you made stuffing. Like you cooked the chicken. Then you made the stuffing in the same skillet. And then you put the, the chicken on top of the stuffing. And then you it was like soup and cheese and whatever else was in the mixture. You poured that over top of the chicken on the stuffing and then let it sit on the stove for however long I can't remember and then that's your dish and I made that one night and it was really really tasty it sounds good what did Lamar think? extremely good so does Lamar one, eat what you cook? if I cook it he'll eat it so what did he think about it? he liked it he thought it was one of the best vegetarian meals I've made Cool. So, yeah. I mean, it, it really was good. And I'm looking for the cutlets because our local grocery store has been out. The only grocery store that I can find them in has been out of them for the last few weeks. So I'm hoping that we'll get them back in soon. Um, you need to get on Facebook and like the Banana Box in Newton. They get a lot of that meat, the meatless chicken and stuff in over there. Yeah, tell me about that. And there's um, food matters here in Morganton that gets a lot of stuff that I never go to because I never think about it. Yeah. But anyways, back to the Taco Bell story. It The alternative meat there gets even better with them. This is straight from the Forbes article. The company announced today it is testing a proprietary plant-based protein in the Birmingham, Alabama market. Doesn't seem like a high test market there but Birmingham that might, be, that might be good for it because if it does really well there it should do well everywhere have you ever been to Birmingham nope don't have I any have. I have but, and it's no offense but it's not the best place to start a business right? or any kind of startup stuff like that I mean it just you know Alabama to be kind of backwards in their thinking on a lot of things. So that's what I'm saying. If it does well there, it should do well everywhere. And that might be the, the thought behind it. Now, the whole thing about it, and if they call it Trump chicken, it might do good. <laughs> We're not going there. Back to the article. The soy <sighs> has been in the works since 2019 and is making its debut on a new crispy milk taco made with a white corn shell tortilla, shredded cheddar and mozzarella and Monterey pepper jack cheeses, a warm nacho cheese sauce, lettuce, tomatoes, and reduced fat sour cream. 
The crispy milk taco is available for $2.49. Customers can opt for traditional beef for the same price or also request the plant-based alternative on any existing Taco Bell item. According to Chief Innovation Officer Liz Matthews, price parity was a critical piece to move the product into market test. Such parity has been a persistent challenge in driving trial of plant-based proteins with such products, products costing an average of nearly 40% higher than animal-based products. And this is her quote. It was important not to have an upcharge. As a brand, we want to make sure this is craveable, as craveable as our seasoned beef, and to democratize the product. We wanted to make sure this was accessible. And that's amazing right there. Okay. Yeah. I bet I know what they're doing there to keep it accessible. Think about it. They got like a little one ounce dipper for the meat to go inside the I bet it's I bet they cut the portion size down of that meat down some. Maybe, that's all, maybe not. That's the only way they can get away with that because the plant based meat is more expensive than than the regular meat. And it's only gone up. It used to be so very cheap, but because it's become so popular, it has gone way up. And although I went to Walmart a few weeks ago, I bought, I think I told you that the the chick nuggets from the upside down, the Stranger Things chicken, yeah. nuggets, vegetarian chicken nuggets, they were like six or seven dollars when I bought them. I went back last week, the same item, four dollars. I bought three boxes. Did you? Hey, did you try them yet? Oh yeah, I ate the whole box. Are they good? I loved them. They are very good. Yeah, them creatures on the on the upside down are doing very well at making their vegetarian chicken nuggets. Let me tell you. I tell you what, I've made it to season four, episode three now. Oh my god, those kids have grown up so much. It's been two years since they've had an app out. And it's going to be another two years before they have season five out. No, I think it's supposed to come out next year. Really? I thought they said season five was going to be another two years again. I thought 2023, but I don't know. Uh, Wait, that kids making all kinds of noise. Oh, quit playing with your chain. My necklace was straightening it out. Um, So, anyways, go ahead. But. But yeah, for them to be making sure that the price match is the same, that says a lot for Taco Bell and makes you want to support them even more, or at least it does me. So Now, they're part of the Yum! brands, like with uh, KFC, Taco Bell, and who else? Pepsi. Pepsi? Okay. I don't know if there's another fast food restaurant. Don't they own, like, Red Lobster as well? Mm, I don't know about that. I have to look that up. I was thinking Red Lobster and Olive Garden. It's, well, first off, we'll, we'll do this. The This is from Nerdist.com. John of the Dead. Craft beer honors George A. Romero's Zombie Classics. It is a new beer that's Named J-A-W-N, John of the Dead. And I don't know how that works into beer, but let's see. Halloween season is upon us, so it'll soon be time to kick back on the couch and watch some classic horror movies, preferably with your favorite frosty alcoholic beverage. Well, now you can have a beer that actually fits the spooky season perfectly with a zombie reference. 
by a bloody disgusting. We've learned that the Nishamini, N-E-S-H-A-M-I-N-Y, Creek Brewing Company from Nishamini Creek, Pennsylvania, is joining forces with the George A. Romero Foundation for their latest brew, John of the Dead, a tasty way to honor to honor Romero's classic Don of the Dead. And it says, for all you non-Pennsylvanians out there, John is local slang from the region. It is, it's used to refer to a thing, place, person, or event that cannot give a specific name to. And we thought Shaun of the Dead would be the last play on words in regards to Dawn of the Dead. But if you want to drink zombie beer, now you'll have your chance. I'll pass. Now I'm going to look up the PepsiCo restaurants and see who all they have. I'm pretty sure it's called Yum Brands. Yummy. Or no, Yum. Why you am an exclamation mark. Yep, Yum Brands, yeah. Let's see. I know KFC and Taco Bell, but I can't remember the name of the rest of them. Maybe like an El Polo Local or something. I don't know. Oh, Pizza Hut, I think, might be one of them. Oh, yeah, so- Pizza Hut's a Yum Brand, yeah. In 2000, this is from Wikipedia. In 2002, Yum began testing co branding locations pairing Pizza Hut with Pasta Bravo, Backyard Burgers, and AW. The Pasta Bravo concept was acquired in 2003 from Pasta Bravo Inc. of Aliso Viejo, California, for $5 million to pair with Pizza Hut. In 2003, Yum launched Wing Street as a hybrid combo unit within the existing Pizza Hut franchise. In 07 and 08, 1,000 Wing Street stores a year were opened. I haven't seen a Wing Street restaurant, and I can't tell you when. Current brands, KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell... Bon Shop, B-A-N-H, and the Habit Burger Grill. Former brands, A&W Restaurants, D'Angelo Grilled Sandwiches, Hot and Now, Long John Silvers, Pasta Bravo, Super Chicks, East Donning, and Little Sheep. So apparently Olive Garden and Red Lobster are not. I think Olive Garden and Red Lobster are owned by the same company, though. Olive Garden, Red Lobster, and um, Outback Steakhouse is all owned by the same company. No, Outback Steakhouse and Carrabba's is owned by the same company. But anyways, what other kind of food you got? That's it. Do you have any? Um, let's see. Food. I took some pictures off the screen for a move, which for to talk about. I'm going to lose you for a second. Hold on. Because the only thing I have left is I've got a food-related science article, but I don't have anything directly food-related other than what I've talked about, as Paul is still trying to find all of his pictures and taking his sweet time. Don't shush me. We've got air to fill here. You're all quiet over there, and here I am trying to fill time. Get it moving. 
it was it's more or less entertainment news i think one of them's a death and one of them's entertainment and so no food no i did uh eat a lot of sushi yesterday i love sushi you know i've i've only had sushi one time it was vegetarian sushi at the hibachi buffet there in hickory and that stuff was there were two different types and the one was extremely good the other one i didn't like at all you're probably talking about the philadelphia roll the philadelphia was um was is really good so it yeah, has cream cheese and cucumbers yeah cream cheese avocado cucumber in it and rice and yeah that's really good philadelphia rolls like a really good basic roll it's really delicious yeah those those were really good but since i don't do buffets since the pandemic and i just don't think i could get enough to fill me up at a price that i'm willing to pay i haven't gone um, back to Right there in Kendakin, right there beside the movie theater in Morganton. Yeah. To the right. They have half price sushi until six o'clock. I might look it up, but and their sushi the I'll put their sushi against the one that placed there in Hickory. Um against the um oh god. Anyways, Wild Walk in Hickory. That's how good their sushi is. If it was an all-you-can-eat type deal, I might be willing to do it, but not a buffet. Well, the, those well, the Ken Ken's not buffet, so I know. But anyways, but on to the news of the first up, we're good. We'll go to some science news here. This is from ACS.org. Food allergies can be reversed in mice by targeting the microbiome. Says, although many people with dietary allergies experience mild symptoms when exposed to triggering foods, some pay, face potentially fatal consequences. A bacterial compound called butyrate, B U T Y R A T E, that's made by healthy microbiomes, has shown promise against allergic reactions and lab tests, but it's nasty to take orally. Today, scientists describe a more palatable way to deliver this compound and report that they're, quote, Polymeric micelles are effective against peanut allergies in mice. The treatment could someday counteract many types of food allergies and inflammatory diseases. So that's pretty positive news for people with food allergies. Yeah. Yeah. But it looks like that might be all my science. I thought I had, I do have another science news here. I've just got it in the wrong spot. This is from newsscientist.com. COVID-19 linked to higher risk of brain conditions up to two years on. I believe it. I've mentioned having the brain fog. I still have the brain fog. Well, this is mental health as well. It says people who have had COVID-19 have a higher risk of being diagnosed with a neurological or mental health condition up to two years later compared with those who experienced other respiratory infections such as seasonal influenza. Paul Harrison at the University of Oxford and his colleagues analyzed the medical records of more than one and a quarter million people from around the world who were diagnosed with COVID-19 between 20th of January 2020 and 13th of April 2022. 
The researchers compared the participants to people who experienced other respiratory infections in this period. In this control group, the researchers only included people who had who hadn't tested positive for the coronavirus at any point in the, t- in the time frame. For both sets of participants, the team and, and al- analyzed the risk of developing 14 neurological and mental health conditions in the two years post-infection for three age groups, children under 18, adults aged 18 to 64, and adults older than 65. Previous studies have looked at the neurological and mental health symptoms experienced by people in the six months following COVID-19, but this is the first large-scale study to look for these, for these effects up to two years post-infection, according to the researchers. So there is a lot to this virus that people are not taking into consideration. And I've talked about it. You've talked about it. And I mentioned it on the show before. I've mentioned it to friends. When I can define something that I'm thinking of and cannot think of the word, I just wonder if they're studying the people that got COVID without the vaccine as compared to people getting COVID with the vaccine. If if it was January of 2020, there was no vaccine. Yeah, there wasn't a vaccine then. So, yeah, they've, they've got people who did not get the vaccine in the study. Okay, that's what I was wondering. But... Before we get to some political, let's have some fun news, shall we? And this one is a great story. That's why I put it on here to share. This is from Yahoo News. Hero Cat saves owner's life by pounding her paws on her chest during heart attack. What? Anybody who says cats aren't amazing can read this article and kiss my butt. How did a cat know to jump on the owner's chest? I don't know, but this is how the article reads. The cat has been hailed a hero by his grateful owner after he pounded his paws on her chest to wake her up when she suffered a heart attack. Sam Felstead, 42, was asleep when she was woken by her seven-year-old cat, Billy, at 4.30 a.m. on August 8th, and she quickly raised, realized she was unable to move her body and had a shooting pain down her right side. Miss Felstead from Stapleford, Nottinghamshire, called out to her mom, Karen, for help, and she rushed to rushed her to Queens Medical Center in Nottingham. Doctors told her she had suffered a mild heart attack in her sleep, and Miss Felstead credits Billy's swift actions for saving her life. She said, suddenly I woke up in the early hours covered in sweat and couldn't move. Billy was on my chest and was meowing loudly in my ear hole. He was really meowing. He doesn't do that normally. He sleeps all day and all night. That's his life. He wouldn't leave me. He's not a light cat. He's not a light cat either. And he's certainly not a cat that wants to be on your knee all the time. He likes to be alone. He's never woken me up in the night before. He never bothers you. He doesn't wake you up for food. I'm just glad he woke me up. Who knows if I would have got up without him. It could have been worse for me. Wow. So, And that's one thing. All animals have that sense and it's a really pretty cat too let me tell you he's white with patches of gray and black and just a really pretty cat so if if you get a chance out there look look up billy the cat saving his owner's life by pounding on on her chest while she's having a heart attack because 
it's a really, really pretty cat, and it's just an amazing story, too. But, like I was saying, the, all animals have the ability to sense things that we can't sense. And, I mean, you know of cancer-sniffing dogs. We've, we've yeah. heard that story before. Drug dogs and stuff like that. Yeah. Animals are so amazing outside of people. Because people um, are animals. We're we're not as amazing as they are. I don't care. Now that we're talking about cats, we've adopted a stray cat. It just kind of like wandered up out of nowhere. So um, it's an outdoor cat, but it's it's got to be somebody's cat. It's sweet as can be. Um, we've asked the neighbors around here. I mean, there's not many around me, uh, as you know. If you can remember, I live out in the middle of nowhere, and um, it's none of theirs. So. Um, we named it Kitty. It answers to Kitty. <laughs> we feed it. We feed it and water it. And he, he's a beautiful gray cat. It's it's not a full-grown cat. And it's not a kitten. It's like a teenager. And it has the loudest purr box on it. You pick it up and it just purrs and purrs and purrs. And uh, it's a sweet cat. So I'm glad it walked up on us. Yeah. I, I will say, and I've said it many times, the last two cats I had, I didn't want. The current one I have, I took in because mom passed. It was her cat. The last one I had was a cat showed up the Tuesday before Thanksgiving and torrential downpour that I could hear him yelling through the walls of the house and you know, tried to, to give it shelter for the night. The next morning, I introduced it to my dog, Jimmy, and Cat didn't take to Jimmy, and the hair stood up, and the claws came out, and the hissing started. And I was like, "Cat, you're gone!" So I put the cat out, and went to work later on that afternoon, and heard the cat meowing again. Couldn't find it. Opened up the engine of my car. There, the cat was sitting on top of the engine of my car, underneath the hood. So I got the cat out of the car engine and put it aside. Went to work. Came home. The cat was still there. So I ended up with that cat as well. And both of those cats, I would not trade for anything in the world. They're so does that, does that cat live outside? No, I, I brought him in. He loved to go outside. And he escaped out many times and he would get out and be gone for a week because I couldn't find him. But he would always be somewhere. And when I moved back in with mom at one point, I had him there and he got out while I wasn't home. And then we had a really bad storm that night. And I think it took two weeks to find him, but he was across the street under the deck of somebody else's house. He just couldn't find his way back. Hmm. Okay. And I found him and well, actually the neighbor saw him because I kept telling the neighbors, if you see him, don't because he won't come to you just let me know where he's at and i will get him and so the the other neighbor told me where she saw him and i went over to the house started calling to him his head little started poking out and he slowly came to me and i picked him up and started carrying back across the road and as i was carrying him those claws just started to sink in because he was so terrified but i would not let that cat go for anything because i wasn't going to lose him again and and he finally ended up having really bad seizures and dying on me. But Aww. 
Uh, got him to the emergency vet. They couldn't do anything for him. But he was he was my little baby. He was he was my little panther. Like he literally laid like a panther. You know those shots where you see the panthers laying on the ledge and they've got one paw up by their head and the other paw hanging down. Oh, he would do that. Speaking of, did you see the big cat on Burt Mott Mountain? Uh, there at your house that they that hunters cameras took a picture of. Nope. It's a it's a mountain lion. There is a mountain lion on Burtmont Mountain. Uh, Dave Faraday tweeted it out. So yeah. the hunter's cameras got pictures of it. So you need to like watch your dogs or whatever if you let them out or whatever. Because um, that's right there in your front yard. Or backyard. Uh, not really. Well, you live closer to it than I do. Yeah, but I don't it's not close enough that I have to worry yet. Well, anyways, there's a mountain line over that way. Where there's one, there's bound to be more. Mm-hmm. But, but anyways, some happy political news. This is from NPR.org. Trump Alan, got arrested? No, Alan Weisselberg, a Trump organization employee for decades, pleads guilty to felony charges. What were those felony charges? 15 counts ranging from grand larceny to tax fraud. We already knew that was going to happen. Someone in Trump's inner circle committing larceny and tax fraud. It's just like everybody around him is going to prison. They're plucking them off one by one. An old meathead had a really good tweet the other day. Rob Reiner, meathead, for those who don't know why I'm calling him meathead, is that was his character on All in the Family. But he tweeted out about how we all want instant gratification and seeing Trump arrested immediately. But the justice system doesn't work that way. They have to take time and present their case and get all the stuff together so that they can convict him. So he he was saying, I do believe it's going to happen, but we just all have to be patient. And I, I can see very much that he's right, but I still can't help but want instant gratification and have that man gone forever. Let's just play the what if game. What if? What if I was, I don't know, a White House staffer Working in the White House during the Obama years and also working in the White House during the Trump years. And well, it's time for turn out, you know, the new president to come in. And, you know, I'm packing up my desk and I have classified documents. And I put them in boxes, take them home. I know they're classified. And I take them home and I put them in here in my closet. Well, the FBI gets in touch with me. Do you think they're going to get in touch with me for a year and a half, wanting those boxes back? No. They're going to show up my doorstep, throw the door open, come in, and get those documents and leave. And they'll probably place me under arrest after the first warning if I don't give them up. That's not right. It's not right. I don't care if he is a former president. 
he had 20 some cases of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago in a not even not even under lock and key. It was in his office in a storage closet in the off in his office. Well, since we're playing the what if game, let's look at it another way. I would have been what? arrested and thrown the the key would be thrown away and, and I, my my bunk may would be Bubba every night. Okay. The, here here's the counter to that. What if the FBI had gone and right at the start gone after all those documents and what if they had gotten there and there were no documents well they had to have proof that the documents were there what if they had bad information it happens well well, they didn't have bad information on trump they knew they were there but you're playing the what if game if you had taken those documents we're playing the what if game because i'm presenting both sides here what if Trump hadn't taken those documents? And what if the FBI had raced in without getting everything in a row and found nothing? But they what did if, know he had them. You're not playing the what if game anymore. I'm just We're saying, the what I if mean, being, you I'm wanted, saying, no, that's not the comparison. I'm, what I'm saying is, I'm a regular citizen. I'm 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 literally just a staffer. They would have got them but documents I'm from me to like get that. The point across to you: if they had rushed in with bad information and nothing was there, and they didn't find anything, well, what what would be the likelihood of any further? Well, no, the whole reason why they're getting in touch with him because they know he's got them, and the but, whole reason. No, so you listen. Sh- listen sh- I'm going to hang what, up this microphone and do this. Show, show your. I'm going to hang up his microphone. You're not not trying to answer my question. Listen, what I'm saying is the whole reason why they're getting in touch with me because they know I've got those documents. They know they have them. Let me finish what I'm trying to say here. I know they're building a case. Blah, 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 blah. You're not finishing it, though. What if they had raced in with bad information, found nothing, and couldn't have any charges against him and therefore could not go after him again because they've put such a black eye on the the FBI. Would you have preferred that to waiting the time and getting all the ducks in a row and getting the information right and then going out and getting him because now they have solid evidence against him. They they knew they knew he had them for 15 months, Chris. Okay. They knew with quotation marks, but you're talking law now. If they had raced in and not found anything, it would have destroyed the entire case against him. Would it not? I wouldn't say to destroy the entire case against him because he's got many other stuff out there against him now besides that. But it would have been a huge blow to the case. It would have, but I still think they need to go dig up Obama Trump. So, again, it's like Meathead said, would you rather them take their time and get it right or rush through everything and then possibly lose everything? I'm just saying the difference between him and me, I would have done been in jail. And you could put any celebrity there. 
literally any celebrity. Yeah, and any still be in official, any celebrity, anybody that has tons of money, they're going to be different than you and I. Yes. Why? Because they have the money to buy the lawyers to fight it. Credit cards I got. <laughs> okay. I don't know if lawyers that take credit cards. Oh, Lord. If they do, they're probably ambulance chaser type lawyers. That, hey, I've got an influence. I've got tens and tens of followers. <laughs> yeah. Tens of tens uh, of followers. <laughs> anyway. Oh, goodness. Did, did you see the debacle as we move on with Liz Cheney and her opponent? After Liz Cheney lost the primary. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Her opponent went on Fox News saying that Liz Cheney did not concede the election. And all he got was a two-second voicemail where, according to the opponent, I can't even remember, Harriet Hagman, H-A-G-E-M-A-N, she claimed that all it was was Liz Cheney calling, leaving a voicemail saying, hello? This is Liz Cheney. And that was it. The woman's a freaking liar. I've got an article pulled up from The Guardian, but I don't know if it says how Liz Cheney got a recording. But Liz Cheney got a recording of the voice message she left in which, and I heard it played, it very clearly says, as this article quotes, Hi, Harriet. It is Liz Cheney calling. It is about 8.13 on Tuesday the 16th. I'm calling to concede the election and congratulate you on the win. Thanks. That was the voicemail. And again, I don't know how she got a copy of it, but it's like I said to others earlier this week. She is in the government and does have access to private records that we don't have access to. She may have been able to finagle a way to get to pull it up the the recording which anybody would be able to do she'd just be able to make it move faster so, um do, have you seen how crazy oh she's a trump ally so nothing more needs to be said i mean did you have you really looked at her have you seen her face not really I the saw woman looks from fox you news can... or whatever i was watching you can see the whites around a woman's eyes. The woman is like she's hopped up on some kind of meth. I mean, it is just it's like she looks crazier than a bed bug on meth. I mean, yeah, this is the type of people that they're putting in, that they're electing. Yeah, this is, it really makes sense. Oh, and on the, the whole Trump supporters and, and approvals, did you see? The newest endorsement Trump gave this week. Lord, who? Peter Pan? I don't know. Matt Gates. He what? Trump endorsed Matt Gates. Well, hopefully that's the kiss of death for that man. But wasn't Matt Gates a convicted pedophile? Not yet. Is he the one that was caught in the hotel room with a 16-year-old boy or was that somebody else? I don't know about that, but he's he's there was a he's, politician that got he's messed up in some kind of trafficking uh, 
teenage trafficking. I know he's messed up in that. But, you know, it's, when you're endorsed by the KKK and you endorse a alleged, as we'll, we'll say, alleged pedophile, what does that say about you? It's the Republic. It's the new Republican Party. It's Hector Projector. So, you know, whatever. I, I've disgusting. got more on the Republicans. This is from Florida GOP candidate Luis Miguel was. Hello. Hello, Chris. Chris. Can you hear me on here? A Luis, or they say Luis Miguel, a candidate for Florida's House, was removed from several social media platforms Friday. The article was published, uh, doesn't have a date, but other bullet points Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook suspended Miguel after he posted about violence against federal agents. Miguel said that under his plan, Floridians could shoot FBI, IRS, and ATF agents, quote, on site. What is wrong with the GOP? They're all messed up. And why do these so-called law and order loving Republicans who are God-fearing good Christians keep supporting trash like this? It just astounds me. I just, um, I don't get it. But more ridiculous political news. Texas public schools required to display, quote, in God we trust posters if they are donated. This is oh. from the Texas Tribune. The law passed last year says schools must display the national motto in a, quote, conspicuous place, but only if the poster is, quote, donated or, quote, purchased by private donations. Did you see what else happened in Texas? What? Um, since they're banning books about, you know, for kids to read and what have you, you know, talking about slavery and all this other stuff. Well, there's been several counties now, as reported by Fox News, that um, has banned the Bible and take the Bible out of the schools. <laughs> Which... Quite honestly, the Bible should be out of schools to begin with, unless they are a religious school. And the and then right winger Republicans are going all to hell over it. <laughs> well, of course they are, because their thing is being put against them. They said in it's, the Bible it talks about you know people being stoned to death, you know incest and rape and all of a sudden said if you're banning these books, you need to ban the Bible, and they took the Bible out of those. I believe it was eight counties they took it out of. 
it's, it's okay as long as it's their God. But yeah. put put the Quran in a, a public school and see what happens. It's like um, I was, uh, there's this guy I follow on TikTok, and he's a he's a biblical scholar, but he's just not, you know, a Christian biblical scholar. He he's studied all the books and all you know of the Bible, even including the Hebrew language and uh and you know the original text and and one guy he posted a little comment. You know he can like, put a comment up there. It says it might help if you'd read the Bible, the real Bible, every once in a while. So the man goes like this: Which Bible? The Hebrew? The, the this one? And then just NIV? Oh, you're probably meaning this James the the new the King James version. Oh, you must mean this one. He just kept on throwing all these different Bibles he has on his shelf coming. He just kept on or this one. Well, how about this one? And he just kept, and it's like he just throws them down. He's like, what about this one? He said, I've just pulled out 28 different Bibles now. Which one are you talking about? And he pans the camera around to the shelf. He goes, There's even more over here. He said, Which one? Which one, man? I've read every one of them. Which one are you talking about? <laughs> Oh God! But you know, so damn stupid. They're so damn stupid. God, the the dumbing down of this fucking nation has began since 2015, where that red bastard just started, orange bastard started running. That's when it started. Well, red too, because he's a pro Russia supporter. But the other thing about the where you were talking about taking the Bible out of schools. I I have a question for all these people that are against critical race theory. What is it about critical race theory that you are so against? Is it because they're teaching your kids to accept people who are different than them? Are you bothered that your kids might not grow up to be little crappy people like you are that hate everybody just because they're different? I mean, what... What exactly is it? And if that's the case, maybe you should start evaluating your own life and how do you feel about people who are different? Why does it bother you so that people are so different? Yeah, there's you know, a, it, I, I follow this one uh, preacher on, I hate to keep bringing up TikTok, but that's how I find out a lot about this stuff. There's a preacher that I follow. He's from Oklahoma. And he's like, he just slams all those preachers down. He goes, dude, he said, critical race theory. He said, what does it matter? He said, it's called teaching about history. And he said, you got to learn from your mistakes. And he just yep. says, and he said, if you don't learn from your mistakes, how are you going to move forward as a country? So, anyways, I could go on and on and on about that shit. But. I mean, it's, it's a lot of ridiculous, but we need a palate cleanser, don't we? So, so are we going to talk about entertainment news now? Not quite. That'll be next. But first, we need a palate cleanser. So I've got a palate cleanser here. Mm. It's from people.com. Quote, heroic Uber driver helps two people escape burning building, but still gets passenger to airport on time. That's cool. It says, on Wednesday, while Uber driver Fritz, Fritz Sam was taking a passenger to LaGuardia Airport, he saw a brownstone on fire in Brooklyn's Bed-Stuy neighborhood. Quote, we looked and I saw fire coming out of the second floor apartment, Sam recalled to the CW affiliate WPIX. 
It looked pretty serious because the flames were already shooting out of the window. So Sam immediately pulled over and got out of the car. Together, we just started shouting, is anyone inside? Screaming at the top of our lungs. Come out, come out, there's a fire, he told WPIX. And with no response, he decided to run inside to make sure. As it turned out, Sam's intuition was spot on. Once inside the building, he helped rescue two people, a man and a woman, Uber confirms people. Quote, all I wanted to do was do the right thing, display some courage, Sam told NBC New York. I was afraid, but there was a moment where I had to put it aside and focus on the task. Once firefighters arrived on the scene, Sam jumped right back into his car. It was surreal, but we got to the airport on time, he told WPIX. Opening up about the experience on social media, passenger Jemima Way shared that Sam was surprisingly casual about the whole thing. Quote, he emerged from the building all like, hey, do I smell of smoke? I was like, sir, you just saved someone's life? And he was like, oh, yeah. Way wrote on Twitter. So this is an amazing story of an amazing guy. Yeah. And I'm sure the man and woman are very grateful to the Uber driver. And just since we were talking about critical race theory, I want to point out the fact this driver is a black man. So Remember that, and the next time you're against critical race theory and trying to treat people as equal, a black man saved these people, not knowing who they were, not knowing anything about them, ran into a burning building to make sure when he didn't even know people were in there and got them out. So keep that in mind, all you haters. He is an amazing Uber driver, an amazing human being. Kudos to him. But that is our news. We'll get into entertainment now. First up from businessinsider.com, real quick. Movie Pass to relaunch on Labor Day in beta form with price ranging from $10 to $30 a month. The bullet points Movie Pass will relaunch in beta form on Labor Day. The only way to use the service is to sign up on a wait list beginning Thursday. The first users who come off the wait list can choose among three pricing tiers $10, $20, or $30 per month. But the article does not say what the restrictions are in the $10, 20 and $30 tiers. I'll pass. So I got burned on it the last time because they just shut down and you still paid them for the month, but you couldn't use the card because they had no money. Yeah. So. I'll, yeah, I'll pass on that. And now I'm not bothered to go to the theater enough to use it. So. But. What was your entertainment news? Do you want to use it or do you want to wait a minute? Um, actually, there's a spinoff of Ferris Bueller coming out, coming up. Did you see that? I actually had that pulled up. Go ahead, because you got it pulled up in front of you. Okay, well, uh, we'll come to it because I've I've got a couple things which I'll I'll do this next one first because there's a few spinoffs and sequels and stuff like that that I want to talk about all at one time. So, first up, this. From the Hollywood Reporter, SAG-AFTRA National Board approves new exclusivity terms with studios. Part of what this does is allows stars to appear in more than one series at a time. And that can be good and bad. Because you think about it, if you have one actor and two or three shows going at one time, 
Production is going to be delayed because they're not able to meet requirements. You, therefore, the show gets hurt because of all the delays. And do you stick around for it? Two, is it too much of one person at a time? So, but on the other hand, it frees up actors to do more than one role if they can do it. Um, let's just talk about that. What actor right now seems like they're in everything that's coming out? The Rock. But that's movies, and that's different. What I'm saying is that man is in almost, it feels like he's in almost every other movie that's coming out, even on Netflix. He's like spam. He's everywhere right now. And, and as much as I like The Rock, quite honestly, his, his movies are not that good. For the most part, they're bad from what I've seen. No, then he played that good. What was that movie in Netflix we liked him so much in? Yeah, that was the one. And I said when we reviewed it, that was the first one with him that I liked. And <clears throat> was, I was hoping Black Adam will be really good. <clears throat> was Sandra Bullock, I think he is in there with Sandra Bullock? No, Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds. That's it, that's it. Yeah. And I can't remember they were after the egg is all I can remember. <clears throat> can't yeah. remember what the title of it was, but Red... Red Notice, that was it. That was a good movie. Yes, it was. But Skyscraper, eh, wasn't all that great. San Andreas, mm. seen it before. Same exact. And not that it's a bad um, plot, but all natural disaster films are the same plot. Jumanji. Never, didn't even watch it because I didn't like the original. Yeah. The I like the original with Robin the Williams. The rundown was bad. So, I, yeah, I really liked the one with Robin Williams in it, Jumanji. That was really good. It had Bunny Hunt. I love her. Still didn't like it. <clears throat> but um, The Rock was also in Scorpion King, which was terrible. I don't know how it got so many sequels because it was not a good movie. But. So, yeah, I mean, it, movies are a different thing than TV, but still, if you get too many, because look at how they had to cut episodes when they did the crossovers on CW. And they all filmed in the same city, and they were on the same network by the same film company and the same creative people behind them. So that's a big undertaking right there, just getting all those shows to come together. But then how do you get your actor who's got this series to do be able to do this series as well because he can now do it? Yeah. I mean, it's, so like I said, it's good and bad, but we'll see how it works out. But as you were saying... This is from eonline.com. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is sequel is happening with a twist. Do, do, do. Says, get ready for a joyride you'll never forget. E! News can confirm Paramount Pictures is developing a sequel to the hit 1986 movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but don't expect any more shenanigans from Ferris or Cameron. Instead, the new movie titled Sam and Victor's Day Off 
sequel, Center on the Valets, originally played by Richard Edson and Larry Flash Jenkins, who took Cameron's dad's car f- or dad's Ferrari for a joyride to the streets of Chicago. The valets, who were unnamed in the OG film, racked up a lot of miles on the prized car, causing Cameron to truly lose his, and they've got it censored there. He and Ferris tried to cover up their wrongdoing by naively putting the car in reverse, but Cameron got so mad he kicked the car, sending it crashing through the glass garage in the woods below. Well, thanks for spoiling for everybody. Oh, please. Like, no one's not seen that movie by now. There are people who have not seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I didn't spoil it this article. That's because they live under a rock. It's from the producers of Cobra Kai. I saw that. Did you know that wasn't even a real Ferrari that went out that window? Well, of course not. The production company made it out of some kind of other car, but um, but the, it is a real Ferrari they used in the movie, but not in the one crashing out the window. <clears throat> well, do you really think they're going to crash a Ferrari just for comedy? That vintage Ferrari was hot, too. Honey, that thing was beautiful. So the whole story is going to be built around them. I think that'll be really cool. It'll be really interesting. I mean, it's better after all this time to take two characters who we don't know the actors really. And well, me personally, I think they should have done it as Ferris Bueller's day off, and he'd be like at work, and then he calls. You know, he's sitting there at his desk and he calls Cam, you know. No, he's at home and texting Cam. He goes, what are you doing? Let's don't go to work tomorrow. And then all of a sudden Cam goes to work. And then, you know, he's like, he gets up. His wife goes to work and he pretends to his wife that he's sick. Then he stays behind. And it's all the hijinks he gets into while his wife is at work or something. Do you know how cool that would be? And his boss, you know, is trying to figure out if he's like really called in sick. And so he gets Cam, and they get together and go on some kind of hijinks, you know, throughout the city, going out to eat all these bougie restaurants and all this other stuff, and them seeing, like, some of their colleagues out to eat or something. That would be killer. That's another part, two to Ferris Bueller. That would have been cool. And the, the People article mentioned Cameron being in a nursing home and Ferris Bueller breaking him out. Well, see, that would be cool. Yeah, but but what I was getting ready to say was the having the two actors that nobody really knows and where you can take it back to that time period. Because one, we're all getting nostalgic for the 80s. It's proven with all the stuff that's being done set in the 80s. <coughs> Stranger Things. <coughs> well, that, Wonder Woman, um, the Max Hedrum returning to television. On AMC, so yeah, but it's, Stranger it's, Things has a bigger pull on these kids today than Wonder Woman does. But I'm just saying, it's multiple things. Yeah, it's I, just this weekend alone, and uh, Saturday at work, there was these young girls and young guys come through with these '70s and '80s looking clothes on, and it was just like they're kids, and. 
I was just happened to be talking to my customers that I was doing an order with that, you know, how Stranger Things has had such a big pull with these kids. And all of a sudden they walk by and my customers turn and look at them and they looked at me and I looked at the kids and they looked at me and I looked at them and I go, right, there you go. And they said, you know, you're right. They said they look like they're like set extras, extras from Stranger Things. The kids were dressed like that. Bell-bottom jeans, the plaid type fit and plaid shirts, the hip huggers from the girls, the hair done in the 70s styles. I mean, it's all back. Yeah, but the bell-bottom jeans is definitely 70s. And the one thing, because everybody's like, well, it wasn't like they just ended from 1979 into 1980. Actually, they really did. And proof of that is the Facts of Life TV series because Joe Ponacek shows up in 1980 on the Facts of Life in bell-bottom jeans because she was poor. And Blair points out that she has on last year's jeans because nobody's wearing bell-bottoms anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like the one clear-cut... Like, yes, bell bottoms pretty much started in the 60s, but they were gone in 1980. Oh, Done. Just like that. And I mean, it's, it's really weird how fashion works. But, but, anyways, another sequel in the works Allie McBeal. Really? From Deadline. I was not a fan of Allie McBeal, never watched it, but it says, Exactly two decades since David E. Kelly's Ally McBeal ended its five-season run on Fox, the Emmy-winning legal dramedy starring Callista Flockhart is plotting a comeback with a sequel series, which is early, which is in early development at ABC. Written and executive produced by Karen Gist, uh, something called Mike, I don't know what Mike is. Uh, I guess she's in the producer on that or a writer on that. I hear the new show will follow a young black woman who joins the law firm from the original series or its current incarnation straight out of law school. The young woman is believed to be the daughter of Allie McBeal's DA roommate, Renee Raddick, who was played by Lisa Nicole Carson on the Mothership series. So for fans of the series, this could be a really good thing. And Wanda, the, the picture shows somebody looking like Wanda Sykes but young, so I don't know if that's one to six or not. Well, are they not going to bring back Callista Flockhart in this? It's still in development, so I don't know. There are no current plans. Bill without Allie McBeal, I mean, come on. It says there are no current plans for Kelly to be involved in the sequel, which Allie McBeal Studio 20th Television, part of Disney Studios, is producing. I'm not seeing anything He says, I hear Flockhart has been approached to reprise her title role from the original in some capacity and to executive produce the follow-up. A decision on her potential involvement likely won't be made until a script has been written. And, you know, if they don't film it in California, she's probably not going to do it. Because Supergirl was on CBS the first season filmed in Los Angeles. Second season, it went to the CW production moved to Toronto, she graciously filmed her leaving the show and she came back for a few episodes here and there. But for a weekly series, it does not look like she's willing to move to Canada, Vancouver. So 
it's everything's so expensive in Canada. It's crazy. It's like it's like uh, it's uh, twenty two dollars for a pack of cigarettes. It's ridiculous. But filming is a lot cheaper in Canada. Mm, might that's be. why the CW, that's why the CW shows film there. Low budgets. Well, that's also where um, Supernatural is filmed in in Canada, but it's set in the United States. So, what else I'm you wondering, got? I'm wondering. Uh, yeah, I bet that is the the picture that looks like Wanda Sykes Young is Karen Guest. Just whatever, however you pronounce her name. So, but she really does look like a young Wanda Sykes in that picture. But real quick, I, it's been advertised on ABC, and that's how I found out about it. And you have never watched the show Big Sky, have you? No. See, I love it. I don't know about Big Sky Deadly Trails. I don't know if it's a new season of Big Sky or if it's a sequel or an, another. Let me see if now that I've got the name pulled up. Because like I said, I saw an advertisement on um, ABC about it. It is season three, so it's not a spinoff series. But the reason I didn't know is because they showed the SUV that was driven in the in the first two seasons, but I didn't see either one of the actresses from the first two seasons. But I did see a new cast member. Everybody knows her. Reba McIntyre. Really? She's going to be in it. Reba McIntyre is joining Big Sky, and here from what's on DisneyPlus.com, Rosanna Arquette to star in Big Sky Deadly Trails. So, well, that's two big names. Yeah. Apparently, Big Sky is going big this year for names. And spoiler alert first episode, the biggest name they had on the show died at the end of the first episode. So, just because these people are joining the show does not mean they won't die. We have seen it happen many times on this show, where you think somebody's safe, and they aren't. Life's just like um, when they did, I saw an interview with Drew Barrymore for Scream. She's the very first person you see on the on the very first Scream, talking on the phone. She didn't want her stardom to overshadow the rest of the actors and actresses that was in it, so she agreed to be killed off in the first 10 minutes. And it was a powerful scene, too, because you take the biggest name and kill her off at the beginning, and then nobody else is really known. I mean, Nev Campbell was known because of Party of Five. Yeah. But the rest of the cast, virtually unknown. And that got people talking. It's like, biggest name is killed off right in the beginning. Well, Courtney Cox from Friends. Yeah, but David Arquette had some hits, but yeah. But I mean, as far but as the rest of the kids and stuff, no. As far as the real, like the students, Matthew Lillard was not a, a known name yet. Skeet Ulrich was not a known name yet. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Kennedy was not really known. He had done some stuff, 
but he was not really known. So, so yeah, she said, "How cool would it be? I get killed off in the first ten minutes." <laughs> Because you just knew she was going to live through it because she's such a big name. I'm wondering, was Rose McGowan really known at that point? Um, Rose McGowan is known for uh, Charmed. She was in Charmed. So and... she was known at that point, maybe. Because mm-hmm. I don't remember when Charmed premiered. She is very successful in Charmed. But you know, that segues great into this next article. This is from Variety. Nez Campbell. The headline, David E. Kelly, Michael Connolly, ABC series, Avalon. Oh, okay. Uh, that was not planned out there, people, just so you know. That was <laughs> our normal tangent that we take, but it worked out perfect. It says, the show hails from co-creators David E. Kelly and Michael Connolly with the show based on a short story that Connolly wrote. It was ordered straight to series at ABC in February. And again, this is from Variety. The series takes place in the main city of Avalon on Catalina Island, where L.A. Sheriff Department Detective Nicole Nick Searcy, played by Nev Campbell, heads up a small office. Catalina has a local population that serves more than one million tourists a year, and each day when the ferries arrive, hundreds of potential new stories enter the island. Detective Searcy is pulled into a career-defining mystery that will challenge everything she knows about herself and the island. I'm already tempted to watch this one. So I think we're going to have to preview or review this one when it comes on. Are you there? Yeah, cool. Did you listen to anything about the show? I did, yes. Do you not think it's worth watching? Oh, yeah. But it's not until February. So. Well, no, it was ordered straight to series in February. It's There is no no mention of when it's so that's what I was looking for in this article. There's no mention of a projected release for it. it. Says the show is slated to debut during the 2022-23 season, but that's all we get. Um, so, but definitely be looking out for Avalon on ABC. ABC has some good series coming up, or at least potentially good series, because I love Big Sky, like I said, and. There's the new show. I can't remember what the name of it is, but Hillary Swank's going to be in it. Yeah. And then this with Nev Campbell, Avalon. So, whereas the CW is canceling all my shows and I don't have anything to watch on there, I'm going to have shows to watch on ABC. But moving on, this is from movieweb.com. Roger Corman's Lost Movie starring Mark Hamill to finally be released. A 10-year-old Mark Hamill movie that was produced by legendary filmmaker Roger Corman is finally getting a general release. Now, you know, being Roger Corman, it's not going to be a great, wonderful, Oscar-winning piece. But with Roger Corman and Mark Hamill in it, it's sure to be fun. It's 2013, Corman produced Virtually the Heroes, a movie that was an official Sundance selection but was never picked up for distribution and originally went by the name of Virtual Warriors. However, it now seems that Screen Media has bought has brought the rights to the movie after almost a decade. I think they meant bought the rights to the movie. As reported by Variety, Virtually Heroes is a comedy action movie that stars Mark Hamill as a, quote, Yoda-like monk 
who aids a pair of self-aware characters in a Call of Duty-inspired video game to win the game against the odds. In a statement, Screen Media said, We're thrilled to bring this Lost Corman project to our audiences. The film is a perfect blend of action and campy, tongue-in-cheek comedy and will be sure to delight viewers, whether this is their first foray into the world of Roger Corman or 50th. So I'll watch it because I love Mark Hamill and Roger Corman movies, though bad, are good. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, real quick, Knives Out 2 has got a tr- uh, actual release date. It's going to be called Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery, and it is set to release on December 23rd on Netflix. Right in town for Christmas. But this was from Twitter. Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet. Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwick, Madeline Klein, Kate Hudson, and Dave Batista, starring Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, coming to select theaters on a date to be announced and globally on Netflix December 23rd. Did you see the first Knives Out? I don't even know what that is. Oh, you've got to watch it. It was so good. I'm telling you, you need to watch Knives Out. I have it on Voodoo. You need to watch it. We may pick that for next week because it was really good. Really good. <clears throat> um, now on to Warner Brothers Discovery because the hits keep coming. This is from Yahoo News. It was the week on Yahoo News. HBO Max removes 36 Movies and shows to cut costs, pivot, and declutter. Content mm. being removed includes teen drama Generation, animated series Aquaman, King of Atlantis, which was bad, I've got to say, and more than 200 episodes of Sesame Street, which I did see that HBO Max has announced that you can watch Sesame Street on their YouTube channel even though they're pulling it from HBO Max. So at That's least where it needs to that. be anyway, so kids could easily access it. But <clears throat> it's not, I was hoping it would list everything that was leaving. I know some of the original films, one that we reviewed, The Witches, gone from HBO Max. Mm. I, I'm really not understanding the thought process behind all this. Like, you want to make the service to where people want to subscribe. Removing all this stuff makes people not want to subscribe. And in that vein, this is from TVLine.com. Batman series, Urkel holiday movie among animated projects not moving forward for HBO Max will be shot. Good. Last thing we need is another damn Batman show. The only problem with that, because I talked about this earlier with the Lamar, you don't get a successful Batman show, you're not going to get a Wonder Woman animated series, which is what I really want. It's never been done. The last thing we need is another damn Batman show. But we've never had a Wonder Woman animated series, and we desperately need it. They're not going to be making it with this current regime, I can tell you right now. 
Well, this point, I'm just happy they're not doing Batman. But I did want to see this Batman <clears throat> Cape Crusader because it was from Bruce Tim and J.J. Abrams, Matt Reeves, and Ed Brubaker. And the reason Bruce Tim is important in this, Bruce Tim did Batman the Animated Series, which was one of the greatest cartoons ever made, bar none. He did the Superman animated series and he did Justice League, the animated series, all of which were fantastic shows. So, yes, I would have very much watched Batman Cape Crusader. But. But the other projects were not getting Merry Little Batman in this animated family action comedy. When a six year old Damian Wayne finds himself alone in Wayne Manor. He must transform into, quote, little Batman in order to defend his home and Gotham City from the crooks and supervillains intent on destroying Christmas. The Day the Earth Blew Up, a Looney Tunes movie. In this animated movie penned by Kevin Costello, odd couple Porky and Daffy become unlikely heroes when their antics at a local bubblegum factory uncover a secret alien mind control plot. Against all odds, the two grow determined to save their own, their town and the world. Bye Bye Bunny, a Looney Tunes musical. The first ever Looney Tunes original animated movie musical boasts a screenplay and lyrics by Emmy Award winner Ariel Dumas, a head writer on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and a huge Looney Tunes fan. The premise, after starring in a long-running Looney Tunes Broadway production, an exhausted Bugs Bunny decides it's time to trade in sold-out shows for life as a regular rabbit. That opens the door for the attention-craving Daffy Duck to bid for the lead role, until he is kidnapped by an obsessive fan who has sinister plans for his for her favorite stage duck. Can I do that to the holidays? A Steve Urkel story. Uh, please tell me these are shows not coming. These were what they were producing, and they are now potentially being shocked. But no, but okay. I don't want to hear about Steve Urkel. I don't like it's animated it, musical holiday written and executive produced by Wyatt Sinek. And announced on in September 2021, finds Jaleel White reprising his legendary nerd character for only the second time since Family Matters ended in 1998. The Amazing World of Gumball, the movie, and that that would be the last one. Series creator Ben Bacalet is directing and executive producing this movie, which features a script written by Shane Mack and is designed to serve as a bridge between the original cult animated fantasy series. And the new one, which is titled The Amazing World of Gumball, the series. And the new series is actually still happening. So. Those are the animated projects that are no longer being done at HBO Max, but do have the potential for being done. Next up, we do have good news for DC, though. CBR.com. Jeff Johns returns to DC for new Golden Age and Stargirl series. The new Golden Age, penned by Johns with artwork by Steve Lieber, Jerry Ordway, and Diego Olortegui, which I know I just screwed that name up, is a new one-shot showcasing the Justice Society of America's adventures as they cross paths with Rip Hunter and the rest of the Time Hunters to uncover forgotten corners of DC history. A mysterious being known as Nostalgia will be introduced, 
and Mime and Marionette, two characters from the Watchmen universe who debuted in John's 2019 epic Doomsday Clock and appeared in the still ongoing Flashpoint Beyond series, will also play a role. It will also spawn two new titles, The New Golden Age and Stargirl, The Lost Children. So whereas we're not getting a lot from Warner Brothers and HBO Max, like we should be, DC Comics is going to come through with some comic books for us at least. And, you know, Paul and I talked before recording, Grease was supposed to come out to AMC theaters. It was going to be $5 a ticket, $1 of which was to go to breast cancer research. Unfortunately, that was this past weekend, and I didn't get to go because I was working. I've seen Grease in theater. I saw it in the 20th anniversary re-release, but I would have gone again for Olivia. And I'm hoping that they might do it again another weekend, and maybe this time the proceeds go to her foundation and hospital in Australia. Since it's in honor of Olivia Newton-John, why not support the thing that she actually created? Yeah. But that does bring me to another set of re-releases. This is from digitaltrends.com. Disney Plus Day brings four surprise screenings to AMC theaters for $5 each. Let me see where... Because I saw the four titles earlier. I'm trying to find them in this one. No, this one's not telling me. So I'm, I'm going to try and find the actual... Yeah, I know this one has it. This is the one I read it in. It's from comicbook.com. It says, From September 8th through the 19th, Disney will re-release Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok, Disney and Pixar's Cars, 1992's Newsies, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and Walt Disney Animation Studios Encanto at select AMC theaters. The Disney Plus subscription is not required to purchase tickets, which will go on sale September 1st, priced at $5 per screening. So if you want to see any of those on the big screen, you have a chance for $5 each. And $5 is not a bad price for tickets. So. And I believe AMC is the biggest theater chain in the country. But Disney Plus Day has revealed what is coming. It will be September 8th. It says September 8th. This is from epicstream.com. September 8th marks the second annual celebration of Disney Plus Day as the streaming platform marks two years being in the business. And they just unveiled the full schedule on the said date, which includes a lot of content for Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, and more. Um, the biggest thing coming that day, Thor Love and Thunder will premiere on Disney Plus. Woohoo! as well as Marvel's Assembled, the making of Thor Love and Thunder. She-Hulk Episode 4 will be happening that day. The behind-the-scenes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi's Return, will also be appearing on the streaming platform on Disney Plus Day. Plus, the Disney Plus original debut of the live-action Pinocchio with Tom Hanks. 
Shorts arriving on Disney Plus Day include Brie Larson's Remembering, A Look Back in Dancing with Stars, The Pro's Most Memorable Dances, and the original The Simpsons' Welcome to the Club. There will also be a Frozen and Frozen 2 sing-along. You didn't like Frozen? I never watched it. If I hear that song more damn time, I'm going to kill myself. Cars on the Road of Pixar will be premiering on Disney Plus Day and Tierra Incognita Latin America series will also be arriving. It says all these lead to the main event of the week, which will happen on September 9th, the D23 Expo, the ultimate Disney fan event where the company will unveil Disney 100 and uncover tons of updates and news from Marvel Studios, Lucasfilm, Pixar Animation, Disney Parks, 20th Century Studios, and more. So, a lot of stuff coming on Disney Plus Day. And real quick mention, uh, this is from Yahoo Lifestyle. Buffy the Vampire Slayer star rushed to hospital after health scare. Uh, Nicholas Brennan was rushed to the hospital following a health scare. The 51-year-old who played popular character Xander Harris in the series was rushed to emergency two weeks ago following a cardiac issue. His sister issued photos on, or posted photos on Instagram of him laying on a hospital bed with his blood pressure being monitored. Nikki sends his loves and, and wanted me to apologize that he hasn't been going live as much lately to give everyone an update. Nikki is doing fine now, but he had to be rushed to emergency about two weeks ago because of a cardiac incident. Some of you might remember he had a similar incident his second spinal sur- after his second spinal surgery last year, but this time he is trying to get a little more rest and has been concentrating on medical appointments. So, sounds like a very promising recovery, and we wish him the best. And with that, we I do have three real quick mentions. From IndieWire.com, Leon Vitali, longtime Stanley Kubrick collaborator, dead at 74. Uh, he was in Barry Lyndon and Eyes Wide Shut. And Eyes Wide Shut, I don't know if you ever watched it, it was Tom Cruise in it. Yeah, I've seen, I think, every Tom Cruise movie there is. It, is, it was hated for the most part, but I thought it was all right. From bleedingcool.com, Tom Palmer, senior inker extraordinaire, dies at the age of 81. And says, Tom Palmer, senior, is best known as a comic book inker, especially for Marvel comics over the decades, including with pencilers Neil Adams on Avengers, Howard the Duck, and X Men, Gene Colan on Doctor Strange, Daredevil, and Tomb of Dracula, John Bushima on Avengers, the entirety of John Burns, X Men, The Hidden Years, as well as Walter Simonon. Howard Jakin, Ron Friends, and himself in Star Wars, which he inked more than anyone else. Sal Valuto on Moon Knight, Dennis Cohen on Steel, Louis LaRosa on Punisher Max, Pat Alif on Scooby Apocalypse, Sean Chen on Wolverine, and John Romita Jr. on Hulk, Kick-Ass, and Eternals. So a lot of work that he created through the years. And finally, this is from People. Virginia Patton Moss, star of It's a Wonderful Life, dies aged 97. Yeah, I saw that one today. It doesn't look like she performed a lot, 
in movies or TV, but it did say somewhere in here. It says, with her strong commitment to family, she volunteered in her children's schools, served as a Boy, Boy Scout and Girl Scout leader for 10 years, and helped youth activities at church. Virginia lived for family and celebrated the achievements of her children and grandchildren, according to her obituary. Um, over the years, the former actress also served as president of the real estate investment company, the Patton Corporation, and worked as a docent at the University of Michigan Museum, Art, Museum of Art for more than 25 years, which added that she was also an accomplished pianist. And with that, we come to the end of the news portion. And Paul's just jumping at the bit to end it. Oh my God, we have been doing this for what an uh, an hour and almost thirty minutes. Well, partly because you kept arguing and wouldn't let me get my point out about the other side of the investigation. I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready to end this one right now. Anyways, we did review or we did watch to review She Hulk Attorney at Law, and Paul's pick was something that I wasn't going to watch because I never watched the series to begin with. But it is the, what is it, the Game of Dragons? No. The, it's, the, it's, it's, it's a spinoff of the Game of Thrones. It's the House of Dragons, Game of Dragons, something. House of Dragons. But anyways, Paul will be reviewing that. So stay tuned, everybody. The Chris Cast is recorded live in front of no audience. First up, let's go over this weekend's top 10 films. Just real quick mention, because we didn't mention it last week. I didn't even pay attention to the lower half of the top 20. But E.T. was re-released to theaters. Last week, it was 13th. This week, it was 20th. After two weeks, it's made over one and three quarter million dollars. That's amazing. The top 10... Down from eight to ten, bodies, 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 almost two and a half million in its third weekend, with almost seven and a half million total. Down from seven to nine, over three million in its sixth weekend, seventy-seven million seven hundred seventy-seven thousand nine hundred ninety-one dollars. Would have been nice if it was all sevens across yeah, the board. Yeah, seven, 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 seven. That'd be cool. But down from five to eight, nope. Over three and a half million in its fifth weekend, one hundred thirteen million seven hundred ninety-three thousand six hundred and five dollars. Down from six to seven, Minions: The Rise of Gru, almost three and a quarter and three quarter million in its eighth weekend, over three hundred fifty million dollars total. Down from four to six, Thor: Love and Thunder, over four million in its seventh weekend, three hundred thirty-two million one hundred forty-six thousand eight hundred seventy-three dollars. Down from three to five. Super Pets. Over five and a half million after four weekends, $67,393,474. Down from two to four, Top Gun Maverick, just under $6 million in its 13th weekend, $683,438,969. And it did surpass Avengers Infinity War, I believe, over the weekend. Are you kidding me? I'm not. The global take is higher now. For wow. Wow. 
down from one to three bullet train over eight million dollars in its third weekend 69 million eleven thousand five hundred three dollars number two is a premier beast from universal pictures over eleven and a half million opening and at number one dragon ball super superhero 20.1 million dollars in its opening weekend i don't even know what that is it's dragon ball dragon ball z and all that oh, it's that... dragon ball super oh i'll be watching it That's... um well, we all know, already know that top gun's going to be back up to number two next week and that's the way he's been doing it'll go down to number five and get up to number two it might finally be playing out because we were both shocked that it went to number two last week. Let's face it. Yeah. But a notable entry, it was at 498 theaters, so it did not hit the top 10. But Paramount Pictures released Orphan First Kill this weekend, made $1,739,010. Did you see the first Orphan movie? I don't even know what that is. You didn't see The Orphan? That was a good movie. Is it supposed to be a horror movie? It was. It was It was an old woman, but she was the size of a child. And she'd get adopted. And then mm. she'd go on a murderous rampage. Oh, okay. It was a good movie. So, I do look forward to Orphan First Kill, so maybe in a few weeks it'll come to Paramount Plus and we'll get to review it. But that brings us to our reviews for this week. First up, we're going to let Paul take the floor. He chose House of the Dragon premiere, which was last night, and crashed HBO Max. I don't know if it crashed on you or not. No. But it wasn't. the HBO Max did crash last night. On Rotten Tomatoes, the average tomato meter has an 82%. Audience score, 88%. IMDb ranks it 9 out of 10. 9.0 out of 10 after 30,000 reviews. Paul, take it away. Um, this is actually a prequel to the Game of Thrones. Um, uh, it starts out with the Targaryens. Um, this is all going to be foreign language to Chris. Because <laughs> um, I think you really would enjoy the Game of Thrones, Chris. Have you ever tried watching it? I don't like things set in that period. You don't so... like the you don't like all the mystical, the magical, all about it, and. So there's a lot of stuff that goes times, on. It. it just doesn't bring me in. So anyway, it shows the tar- uh, like the beginning of the Targaryens and the Lannisters, um, and it goes back to um, uh, back whenever the 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 kingdom was ruled by the dragons. Uh, the family, the Lannisters had the the Targaryens had the sixteen dragons, and that's how they ruled over with them sixteen dragons and. Um, then, of course, there's another aging father who got a pr- wife pregnant, and she ended up losing the child. Well, no, she ended up losing her 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 uh, health deteriorated while having the baby. Then they it's either this is an interesting uh, point, Chris, about abortions. This came up: you either abort the fetus and save the mother, or save the child and the mother dies. There's, there's a lot of current events going on inside this thing. So they chose to save the child and kill the mother in this episode. So to to hopefully one day to gain the crown. 
Well, it's, it's funny you say current events because I'm sitting here reading the story of the House of Targaryen, or however you say it, set 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones, which was yeah. set, what, five, six hundred years ago? Yeah. So, this was, it, it, she ends up losing her life to have the baby, and which the, there was hoping for a male to be born to um, pass the crown down to, and it ends up being a female. So, but he ends up still, you know, saying, This is my heir. And her, and it, it's all about another story with another side story about his asshole brother loves, loves killing people. So, it's a, actually a good show. I can't believe I got sucked into it in that first episode. It's an hour, I think it's an hour and like 17 minutes or something, an like hour and 14 minutes. But that hour and 14 minutes went by like that. So, and the music, the cinematography in it, the special effects, I mean, it is just amazing. It sucks you in immediately. I mean, the actors, the actresses, I mean, you can't get any better than this. I mean, it's amazing. There's a reason why Game of Thrones won so many damn awards. Uh, the only ones that I recognize were Reese Siphons, and I can't tell you where I know him from, and Matt Smith was a Doctor Who that I didn't watch. So... I don't know the cast at all. Olivia Cook sounds familiar, but I couldn't place her. And I did find out today by reading a little bit, by doing some sleuthing work, the gentleman who wrote the book, The Game of Thrones, is actually writing more of The Game of Thrones. And they're quite possibly going to pitch bringing back the original cast of Game of Thrones to do Game of Thrones again while this is going on at the same time. Yippee! <laughs> <sighs> so, anyways, I thought that was interesting. I'm sure it is for the fans. Like, I just that that was part of the reason why there was no point in me reviewing this because I would not have been interested. I would have checked out from the start, and it would not have been a good review. So. I mean the costumes, the the everything about the show. It was just it was it's amazing. So, yeah. I did watch the the bonus episode of Sandman that released over the weekend. And oh, really? Yeah, it's. Have you watched any of Sandman other than the first episode? No. I really enjoyed it. I've watched it all, and this last one, it. The first part is an animated short about a cat, and it explains all that as you watch it. And then the second part is about Calliope Amuse, and that was a really good story. Like, I mean, really, really good story. But I, I would highly suggest it. So, so what's your take on the House of the Dragon? A must watch, a no watch? Well, it's a must watch, but you're not going to watch it. No, I'm, I'm for the people out there. Oh my That's god! If you love the Game of Thrones, you, oh my god, what are you waiting on? It is sitting there for you to get sucked back in, y'all. Come on now. Yes, the show's amazing. So, do you it have is. anything more on that one or no? No, that's basically yeah. I mean, because it's going to be going into the whole storyline of it, so it's it's like an ongoing story. Each episode relies on the next. So, 
Well, with that, we will move on to She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Of course, this is Marvel Studios' latest Disney Plus original. 5.4 out of 10 after 36,000 reviews on IMDb. Average tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes, 82%. Average audience score, 70%. And we will get into that, but these reviews so far... You can't be real fair to it because it's one episode and this was an origin story. She did not even get a villain until the very end of the episode. So, but basically it's Jennifer Walters and Bruce uh, Banner are Mark and then a spaceship ends up in front of them. She swerves and runs off the road, crashing. She gets out of the car, helps Bruce get out of the car, and Bruce bleeds into an open cut on her arm, which is similar and acceptable, but it is completely different as well from the origin in the comics. Because I can't remember what happened to her in the comics, but they didn't have the ability to get her to a hospital, whether it was time or whatever. And Bruce being a doctor had to do something right then and there. They were cousins. So he basically put his blood into her with a transfusion and saved her life, but also turned her into the She-Hulk. And in the original comics, the She-Hulk was like the Incredible Hulk. She was just an enraged beast that didn't really have any remorse or cares. She just got angry and attacked. And as the comics went, she changed to being smart. At one point, she was She-Hulk all the time. This, she transforms, and she can control the transformation. And you find all this out in the first episode. For an origin... It leaves you with the knowledge of the character. It explains everything, like how she becomes She-Hulk, whether she can change on demand or not, all of that. And there are little tidbits along the way. Like, if you recall, Bruce in the movies said the, the trick is he's always angry, and then he controls himself changing into the Hulk at one point. And in this episode... Jennifer talks about how women have to control their rage all the time because of things that are thrust upon them. And I can't remember exactly the phrasing. I'm not going to try and say it, but it made sense in the context of the show, which kind of tells you that's why she can control already. It's because she already controls her rage. She has to do it in, in everyday life. So, as far as that went, it made sense. Yeah. Problem is, we don't really get a She-Hulk episode. We just get an origin story. So, I'm going to watch more episodes. I, Like I said, I think the reviews on this are unfair right now because it's only been the origin and we really haven't gotten any kind of Hulk-out battle. And we know we're going to see Daredevil in the series. 
There's mention of surprise guest stars along the way, but it is a She-Hulk show, so it's going to focus on her. And there's definitely room to build here. What did what, you think? Well, what did you think about it? For a first episode, I wasn't real thrilled. I mean, I was expecting more, but like I said, it is the origin, so there's room to build, and I'm waiting to see how the other episodes go. How did you feel about the comedy in it? I hate the fourth wall breaking. Overall, the comedy was all right. I think there's a little bit much, and they're trying too hard at times. Yeah. But some of it's natural, like where they're the Hulk throws a rock and then she throws a rock further and then he has to outdo her. Yeah. And the part where he pushes her off the side. Yeah. That, I mean, those are little things that it's kind of a family rivalry thing. That's nothing in meant harm by, but it's fun. Those things work, but the talking to the camera. I, I saw just, that. I it's like, um, they were doing something, and all of a sudden, she t- she turns and looks right at the camera. I was like, then he turns and looks, and he like kind of looks like that at the camera. Like I saw that, and I was like, uh, they just acknowledged the camera, and then they acknowledged it again. And well, it's at the very start of the show. Yeah, they did Before it twice. We get into this wonderful little show about a law person, a lawyer, legal show, however she said it we need to tell you about how I became the She-Hulk and I'm like you think they're probably presenting like a biography I think that because Shane Helms tweeted out earlier today and mentioned that he just thought it was eh and I said well it's just the origin the thing I didn't like was the fourth wall breaking and he replied back to me saying that that was okay with him because she had been doing it in the con on the comics long before Deadpool had, which I didn't know because I stopped reading. And the only ones that I've actually read are the very first issues with Savage She Hulk. And she didn't break the fourth wall in those. And it wasn't so comical. And so I don't know the current run of She Hulk in the comics, but I like the original run. That's what I really wanted. That's not what I'm going to get. Um, but I I think if they do another season, because obviously this season is going to be what it is, maybe try toning down the comedy some and just keep the light moments like that. Because that's one thing. Marvel has done some great comedy without trying, and they've overdone the comedy, as I've said, Thor Ragnarok. I hated when Thor's about to get his hair cut and there's this machine coming at him and he's screaming like a little girl. He's the god of thunder. Yeah. It wasn't believable. It took me right out of it. It was like Robin driving through the in Batman and Robin leaving the bat symbol in the wall. I was done with that movie at that point. There was nothing they could have done to bring that movie back to my graces. Mm. and so I'm hoping that this ends up doing better Um, looking at the cast on IMDB Bruce and Jennifer are going to be in all nine episodes 
Titania is going to be in all nine episodes, but the Abomination is set for eight episodes. Uh, Wong is set for eight episodes. Daredevil is set for eight episodes. So, uh, I'm not sure that they're right, but it's an awful lot of episodes for all of them to be in. What what are the points you have to say on it? I thought it was cute. Uh, it seems like that that is if she's going to be Hulk, it seems like they'd have hulked her out even more. Get you know that gave her like some really good muscles. I mean, she's just like toned. Not unlike unlike Bruce Banner. I mean, he's like hulked out. You know, like powerlifter looking. They just have her looking like she's a gymnast. So that's the only thing I have an issue with. The rest of it, I thought it was cute. I enjoyed it. Oh, here in the IMDb trivia is responding to what Shane Helms told me. On July 6, 2021, the site, the direct reported that there will be, quote, many instances of Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk, breaking the fourth wall or talking directly to the audience. The report also claimed that Jennifer will even be aware of and acknowledge that she is a character within the MCU. Both of these aspects of the character were a major part of the 1985 graphic novel and continuing comic series entitled The Sensational She-Hulk by writer-artist John Byrne. And I just really hate that. Like, that is not a necessary point for this character. Well, that's what they wanted. Yeah, that's not what I wanted. But like I said, there's a lot of room to move. The light comedy moments I like, the the wall breaking I don't like, and I don't know. It's I'm still debating. I can't say it's a definite win. I can't say it's a definite loss. It's it's something I need to watch more of before I can pass it. That sounds doable. So, and if every episode is as short as this one, it won't be long because this one was a clocked in at 38 minutes. So, did you stay tuned for the closing credits scene? Susan, you know, I stopped it. No, you gotta gotta watch through the credits. Yeah, I forget Marvel has that shit at the end. Well, a lot of things do now. The the best way to know whether or not to continue watching is if it doesn't go to the picture smaller and gives you another option of something to watch. Because that means there's something more coming. Okay. So, they had the, the drawings, which even if there's not something more coming, they have the drawings and the credits. So you can always fast forward through that part if you don't want to watch them just to see if there's something more. But the the closing credits answered the question of Steve Rogers' Captain America's virginity. Oh, really? Really. So it was... It was mentioned in the episode, and they answer it in the the mid credit scene. Well, 
Well, go back and watch it because I don't want to ruin it for people out there that haven't seen it. Okay, I'll go back and watch it. I'll just Google it actually, see what they say about it. But, anyways, like I said, I, I will watch again on Thursday, see how it comes out. And I'm hoping for the best because this was the show I wanted to see on Disney Plus. We we shall see. Fair enough. So, any ideas on what to review next week? Um, didn't you say something that you just want me to watch on your Voodoo? I said the Knives Out would be a possibility. Yeah. I don't know of anything new coming this week. So... But Knives Out, I really think you'll enjoy. It was very well received and had mm. a wonderful cast. Tony Collette, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, um, the, the one who, I want to say Christopher Lee or Christopher Plummer, I can't remember exactly which one he was. Um, lots of well-known names in it, just like the sequel's going to be. So... Oh, we can discuss. We'll see. And and I don't know if I mentioned the House of the Dragon Game of Thrones prequel is on HBO Max, and of course She-Hulk Attorney at Law is on Disney+. Plus. So, for those that didn't catch that earlier. Yeah, those who aren't living underneath a rock where to find that at. <laughs> but anyways, so you want to do Knives Out next week? Sounds good to me. Okay, so we'll we'll review Knives Out, and then if Paul decides to pick something that I can watch this time, we might do the Mummy. Which one? I'm picking. I'm not. We're not doing the Mummy. I was just picking about that. So we'll figure out something. And there might be something new that I am not thinking of that comes on too that we could possibly do, but. But anyways, anything you want to say before we end? Um, let's see here. Oh, I ended up going to Gay Pride in Charlotte this weekend to to the parade set yesterday, and that's the first Gay Pride parade I've ever attended, and um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Carolina Panthers was there with their first transgender cheerleader. Saw saw her. She was really good to see her perform. The Carolina Panthers band was there. Sir Purr, you know, was on top of the big Carolina Panthers bus. And tons and tons of companies and churches all represented in the parade. I mean, everywhere from Verizon to the American Cancer Society to um, Lowe's Hardware to Home Depot to, I mean... Tons of different churches from all the different areas and all across the area there. I met this one couple. They drove up from Atlanta to come to do to the Pride event. And they said this was bigger than the one in Atlanta. And they said it was simply amazing to go to. And I found out, one of my friends sent me a message today. There was 275,000 people at the parade yesterday. I was not there. That was amazing. They said that was the most successful pride ever. Ever. I don't know if that's for Charlotte 
or of all time for the United States, but 275,000 people in attendance. Because there is no way Charlotte's Pride was bigger than San Francisco's Pride. Probably not, but it was bigger than Atlanta. Or LA's Pride or New York's Pride. But 275,000 people in Charlotte's Pride? That's amazing. Well, it was also on the news on Friday. Channel 3 and Channel 9 were both discussing it and talking about how they missed the 20th anniversary last year, so they're Part of it was the 20th anniversary celebration this year because they couldn't have it for COVID. Yeah. The, it's been two years since they've had it, so that also added to people wanting to be there for it. And whenever I tell you everybody was there, gay, straight, by, I mean, it was everyone was around you, every race, every walk of every gender everywhere all around you. And everyone, I talked to one of the cops there and I said, um, I said, well, I bet y'all been busy here, you know, you know, parade by guys. And then she just turned and looked at me. She said, no, it's been really quiet. She said, it's a gay parade. She said, not many things happen at a gay parade. She said, it's been very quiet for us. And she said, we like that. I said, awesome. The protesters are problem. I saw one little group of protesters, um, something about, the Bibles, the sin, or something like that. But whenever I say it's a small group, it looked like there's maybe like four of them, and they're surrounded by gay flags all around. Them. <laughs> so. Well, see, we we go to the Blue Ridge Pride in Nashville, and we're planning to go this year. Yeah, and we really enjoy that one. And the last time we went, they had the protesters at one spot where the food vendors were, and in front of the protesters was a band with a tuba and trombone and I don't remember what all else, drowning out everything they were saying. So, it just made me laugh about that. Yeah. But one city I would like to go right in, and I never have looked up to see when it is, is Greensboro. I bet they have a really good pride. They probably do. And what was also neat about this pride is it wasn't a hundred degrees outside and the sun wasn't beating down on it. It was like a high, it was like 82 degrees out there and behind the clouds. That was amazing. It kept the heat away and it was just, it was great to attend to it. That's why we like the Blue Ridge pride. It's in September. Yeah. Um, so sure. anyway, it was neat attending that and seeing all those people. And um, anyway, it was great. I'm looking up the Blue Ridge Pride Festival now to see when it is. September 24th, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. in Asheville. It's coming up next month. Is what September is, is on a Saturday? Yes, and it is the fall officially. So, well, hopefully it'll it'll be cool that day. Well, it's also Asheville, and usually yes, like you can wear shorts, but it's usually cooler at that point. Yeah, like you may with a have jacket. a high of eighty, may have a high of seventy-five. Yeah, but it's more tolerable than ninety, ninety-five. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I had fun with that. Just had to share it with him. But, and with that, I think we are done. So.
Knives Out, the original, we'll be reviewing next week. And maybe something else if Paul comes up with something. Probably the um, the fan based version of Friday 13th on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> so, okay. Everybody so, take care. Until next week. That's it. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.